Hey everyone, how's it going? Uh, this is uh, episode three of Questions Like This, uh, Revenge of the Sith, or enter some uh, random uh, <laughs> enter some random uh, trilogy uh, name. There, uh, we are back once again. I'm Alex. I'm broadcasting out of New York. Yeah, and uh, this is the Indonesian rattlesnake uh, Aristo uh, <laughs> broadcasting live from. Uh, from the island of Java. Very nice. And uh, this week, uh, in conjunction with the uh, the release of the, uh, from what I'm hearing from the critics, wildly inept uh, Dark Tower, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, Stephen King adaptations because we've come to the conclusion that more adaptations have been based on this on his work than any other writer in the world whose name is not named uh, Shakespeare. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes you might ask yourself, um, is this Stephen King's story a movie or a TV show? And the answer is yes. Every single one. Uh, and if it's not a movie or a TV show, it's a comic book or... Even a, even a play. Exactly. And it seems as if that as, as soon as he actually finishes a book or a short story, somebody is quick, somebody's quick to say, like, you know, hey, let's make that into a miniseries, or hey, let's make that into a movie. I was just looking up on his uh, Wikipedia page earlier today, and his new novel, which is... Get this, it's called Sleeping Beauties. It's not even out yet, but it already has a, a TV deal, apparently. Of course. Um, yeah, uh, I think the only thing that hasn't been adapted to film is probably his memoir. But yeah, this episode we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a deep dive into Stephen King adaptations. Um, you know, he, 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 there's a lot of good ones, um, but of course, there's also a lot of bad ones, and some that are just mostly forgettable. <laughs> Absolutely. And with over, I think it's like 30, 30 to 40 something adaptations, we're going to look at, well, maybe not all of them, but the ones that really, really stick out in our minds that have left an indelible impact on our psyche uh, for most of our most of our lives. So this is it. This is episode three of Questions Like This, where we will be discussing the one and only master of the horror cliche, Stephen King. Hell yeah, man! We're talking. We're talking Carrie. We're talking The Shining. We're talking Stand by Me. We're talking uh, fucking uh, Shawshank Redemption. We're we're, we're talking uh, that movie where Ian McKellen plays a Nazi apt pupil, and uh, yeah, man. Um, In addition to those, we're talking about uh, we're talking about it. We're talking about the Langoliers. We're talking about Children of the Corn, and of course, we're talking about. The one time he actually tried to direct something, Maximum Overdrive. Hell yeah, man. Maximum Overdrive, which I think is, be is, is best remembered for having ACDC do the soundtrack. <laughs> and um, I, uh, maybe I should link to this in the show notes, but... Um, is a completely bizarre trailer for the movie with Stephen King himself, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess we can start with a bit of background on Stephen King and um, some of the earlier adaptations of his work. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You want to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so... For those that are uninitiated, uh, Stephen King is one of the uh, greatest uh, storytellers of all time. His work spans over uh, 40 years. He's 
written hundreds of novels, short stories, or as he like as he likes to call them, novellas. He's written screenplays. He's literally done it. He's literally done it all in the literary world. And it's kind of a weird mix because his stories at times can be genuinely terrifying, but he also uses a lot of the same uh, tropes in pretty much every story he ever makes. And number one, number one will always be the unexplained psychic child seen in his very first work and very first uh, film adaptation, Carrie. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I think Stephen King is kind of, I guess in most people's mind, he's still thought of as like a genre writer. But since, I guess since he started writing, uh, the, he, he finished writing like the Dark Tower books, he, he's, he's branched out a lot. And um, he's done some pretty straightforward stories and uh, more kind of like straightforward fiction but yeah uh his trademarks has always been like creepy shit happening in maine or uh inexplicable psychic children or uh yeah just uh or, just uh, some weird shit happening or or what weird shit weird shit happening uh like you said mainly in maine but also that feature incredibly one-dimensional uh characters who have no redeeming quality whatsoever yes that too <laughs> all right so yeah his uh his first novel carrie came out 19 1974 i think uh yeah. and uh just a short time after that uh two years later the movie Carrie came out, directed by uh, Brian De Palma, starring uh, Sissy Spacek and uh, Piper Laurie. And uh, as usual, there's uh, there's some future famous people in uh, in the in the background somewhere. Absolutely, most notably uh, John Travolta, who plays the uh, the school bully. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is while he was still on a Welcome Back, Cotter. If, if it wasn't, then it was right before he was cast. Yeah, so um, it's interesting watching uh, Travolta back-to-back -back with <laughs> Welcome Back, <laughs> Cotter and uh, Carrie. Because it's, yeah. uh, it's two sides of the high school coin. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, of, of course, you know, when people think of Carrie, they always think of that... Uh, that famous scene where like she's voted uh, she's voted a prom queen and all of a sudden she gets a uh, uh, pig's blood dumped on her by the uh, by the popular girl and the the school bully and then she uses her unexplained psychic powers to kill everyone yeah so um you know it's uh it's great um uh, what is it uh, a, a warning against uh bullying i guess <laughs> i i guess <laughs> i guess you could say that it is but people still do it anyways yeah um this was uh i i want to say this is kind of a it, it's probably one of the most faithful adaptations of uh stephen king movie uh works uh, it's been uh so the brian de palma movie came out in 76 uh and it's um it's been uh pretty well received it i guess it it still kind of holds up it's still it's still pretty tense but um the novel has been adapted several times and it uh the movie also received a sequel about what is that? 20, 23 years after the fact. Mm -hmm. Which is always a good sign. Oh, yes. 
And not only that, they decided to do a reboot of it as well a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the sequel, The Rage, Carrie 2, came out in 1999, not directed by Brian De Palma. Thank God. Nor uh, <laughs> nor is anyone except uh, Amy Irving returned. And in fact, it's not even uh, it's not even about Carrie White. So, yeah. So the so then why is it called Carrie Two then? Uh, no idea. The only thing I can say is uh, they're writing that uh, Stephen King gravy train, and uh, it was not successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. That's kind of a given because you're making it 23 years after the original came out when any sort of hope for a sequel died out a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the <clears throat> plot of the movie is essentially the same thing where there, there's a girl who's, who's uh, pubescent and she's dealing with uh, psychic powers at the same time. And, uh, yeah, she's being bullied, and she's using the um, psychic powers to beat back the people who are bullying her. So it's the same movie, then? Yeah. It's, um... I don't know what it is with um, making films that are exactly the same and hoping they can uh, catch lightning twice <laughs> but it's uh it's a recurring feature with adaptations or sequels to adaptations yeah and i feel like we could there there should be some point where we do an episode where um we talk about films with eerily similar plots that come out like in the same year yeah, like, uh, what is it? White House Down and uh, Olympus Has Fallen? Yes. That's, or, uh, yeah. Or a, a Deep Impact and Armageddon. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, fun fact, Armageddon is in the Criterion Collection, so it is a all-time classic. <laughs> Are you serious? It has been approved by some... Uh, some some guy with like a master's degree from Tish. Uh, that at least that's how I assume movies get into the Criterion Collection. I, I'm I'm assuming so as well. But really, a movie directed by Michael Bay is in the Criterion Collection. You you have to read the essay that comes in the DVD box. It, <laughs> I have no. It's yeah, it's great. I'm sure it's on the Criterion website, and you can read it. But yeah, listeners, read read the justification for including Armageddon, and uh, and also uh, listen to Ben Affleck's commentary on Armageddon because even he doesn't want to be there. Even he doesn't <laughs> want to be in Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we thought he was ashamed of Geely. <laughs> no, that's nothing. He, think, he thinks of Gigli as like, you know, heaven compared to what he did on Armageddon. <laughs> All right. So after the sequel, there was a, I guess it's kind of like a TV movie that came out in 2002, but uh, I didn't see it. But Recently, there was a remake starring Chloe Grace Moretz as Carrie and Julianne Moore as the mom. I also did not see this because, again, why? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I feel like in this day and age, the, I guess Hollywood's answer to pretty much everything is reboot fucking everything and see how we do. I think also that there is maybe not at the case of Stephen King movies, but in other movies like, like, like this upcoming Jumanji. First oh, of all, wh why is it a Jumanji movie? <laughs> I, 
I feel like there's an entirely different script uh, that was written, and then somebody said, "Oh, people get sucked into games. That's that's kind of like Jumanji. Let let's let's slap Jumanji on it, and uh, they're hoping for some sort of uh, recognition." Well, I mean, it's got Dwayne Johnson in it, so you know people are going to go see it. Yeah, and there's uh, Karen Gillan in it, so I'm going to see it. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to have my hand down my pants. That's... <laughs> uh, okay, all right, a l- l- little bit too much information. <laughs> yeah, considering it is going to be a, like a PG movie. That's That's not a problem. The problem is getting caught. Just like oh. uh, Pee Wee Herman, although Pee Wee Herman was beating off to a grown-up movie. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my god, listeners, that's another story for a, a different day. So yeah, uh, Carrie was remade in 2013. I I. I don't know. I I haven't heard anything good about it, but also nothing overly bad. So we'll put this in the forgettable pile. Although, yeah, I guess people expected it to be, um, something more based on the actors that they cast. But yeah, it was it was so so. From yeah, based I on mean, the reviews and from people's reactions to it, I don't know. I feel like with the remake, you kind of get what you pay for. It's like if you've seen if you've seen the first carry, then like nothing's changed. You're basically seeing the same movie, just with different actors. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's. Uh... Moving from forgettable to absolutely memorable, the next the Stephen King adaptation was the now legendarily classic horror movie, The Shining. Hell yeah, man. Uh, came out in 1980, mm-hmm. starring uh, podcast favorite Jack Nicholson. Yes. And... Uh, Directed by Mr. Stanley Kubrick, who is at least one of my favorite directors. He's a he's a great director. I wouldn't go so far as to call him one of my favorites, but he can definitely uh, suck you in. I actually would call him the biggest uh, successor to uh, the true successor to Hitchcock in terms of overall uh, quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just as prolific and, uh, his, his quality is usually pretty high. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's funny, it's funny because when, uh, The Shining first came out, uh, not only did it receive mixed reviews, but Stephen King himself hated it. Yeah, um... King thought the movie took way too many liberties from his novel, and he was a. Uh, I don't think he agreed with uh, Kubrick's uh, direction. Right. Which is why he made his own miniseries of The Shining in 1997. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? Uh, it's more or less, you know, his own, it's more or less his own faithful adaptation of his novel, but with none of the, uh, suspense that you would expect from the, uh, from the Kubrick movie. There's no, there's no scene with like a river of blood. There's no scene with like the two, uh, creepy girls, uh, the two twins, like holding each other's hand. There's no scene with, the uh, uh, Jack Nicholson, the uh, getting drunk with ghosts in the lobby of the Overlook. But it, it does retain the uh, the classic, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy uh, line. Yeah, and uh, the miniseries probably doesn't have that scene where uh, the guy is getting blown by the dude in the dog costume. No. That's, uh, no. that's a Kubrick <laughs> original. 
It really is. And not, and like when you first see it, it's like, it's almost like you have to almost look away as if to say like, you know, wait, did I just see that? But then the camera zooms in. It's like, no, you, you really did just see that. And we're going to linger on this for as long as we possibly can to make you even more, even more weirded out than you actually are. That, yeah. That kind of like broke the kayfabe for me. Cause I think the first time I watched it and that scene happened, I was, I just started laughing and I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? <laughs> and, and of course it takes place right before, uh, Jack Nicholson takes the, uh, takes the axe and chops down the the door where Shelley Duvall is and just screams, you know, here's Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, but then again, that is the, uh, the Kubrick touch right there. Follow up one moment of uh, confusion and levity with straight up horror. Yeah, you know, you gotta. It's it's a game of uh, give and take. You know, you you lighten the mood a little bit, and then, uh, bam! There's a axe through a door, and uh, Jack Nicholson's doing his best crazy face. <laughs> no, I think he's doing his best crazy face when at the end of the movie he's outside frozen. Oh in yeah, the snow. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he's he's all cross-eyed. I'm like. Is this supposed to be scary? Because this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably like the funniest like dying face in uh, <laughs> in cinema. Well, maybe not in cinema, but it's uh, it's up it, there. It, it, it comes pretty close. So yeah, I mean, I mean, after The Shining came out, obviously it's now regarded as a, a classic, but it was met with the uh, mixed reviews. When it first came out, so uh, King went back to the uh, to the drawing board. He started writing, started writing more and more. He wrote uh, the classic uh, uh, killer dog movie Cujo. He wrote uh, such works as uh, uh, the Langoliers, which we'll get to in a little bit. But then he wrote, which is then he wrote. By far one of his more successful novels, well, mo well, actually most of them were really successful, but one of his more successful adaptations was the the heralded classic Stand By Me. Yes, which, you know, is not a horror movie by any means. No, it's your, it's a classic coming-of-age story. Yeah, um... It's actually one of the, I guess it's one of the lesser known novellas. More people are more familiar with Stand By Me uh, than uh, the original Stephen King novella. But yeah, I mean, it's got Will Wheaton, uh, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, uh, Keith, our, our boy Kiefer Sutherland. And, uh, and uh, Jerry O'Connell's in it as Jerry well. Jerry O'Connell. And John Cusack, too. Let's not forget. No, of course not. And the whole movie is narrated by Richard Dreyfus. Hell yeah. And directed by the one and only uh, meathead himself, Rob Reiner. Hell yeah, man. It's a classic. It is a classic. It's uh, because who amongst us has not, you know, traips in the woods and uh, found a dead body? Mm. I feel like you like we we I feel like we have to go through all that just to say like you know like yeah you know now I feel now I feel like I'm ready to take on the world because I went into the woods with my friends and we saw a dead body. Yeah, um, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, if it's not a dead body, then it's like it's some porn like hidden in a hollow of a tree. Yeah, or <laughs> or had someone that looked like uh, that looks like Kiefer Sutherland come up and try and attack you. Yeah, man, and uh, Kiefer Sutherland is a very credible uh, teenage bully. 
Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he is. But then again, he was also in his. Uh, I think like he was also in like his mid twenties at the time. Let me. Hey, let me look this up. I want to actually see. Huh. Yeah, no, he wasn't his. He wasn't his twenties. He actually was twenty when the movie first uh, came out. So. I guess technically, when he they were filming, he was still considered a teenager. Yeah, um, very old teenager, but yeah, no. It's, Jesus Christ, how many names does Kiefer Sutherland have? <laughs> Wait, let me see. Hang on. Uh, oh my God, too many. He has every fucking white person's name in his name. <laughs> Yeah. L- listeners, listeners, um, just look up Kiefer Sutherland on the internet, and uh, boy has six hundred names. At least. <laughs> At least. Oh my god! But I think for me, you know, I, I've always enjoyed Stand by Me, particularly. Like when they start playing, when they start playing the song in the middle of it, it's like, you know, it makes you say like, you know, oh my God, you know, this song's amazing. And of course, you know, obviously a standout performance by, uh, by Will Wheaton and River Phoenix. Yeah, man. River Phoenix, um, gone too soon. Gone way too soon. He... I feel like he could have been one of the all-time greats. Yeah. But yeah, this is... I guess this is one of the first non-genre movies uh, that was adapted from Stephen King's works, and uh, certainly not the last. Oh, no, of course not. But uh, same year that Stand By Me came out is the the all-time classic shitty movie... I'm talking I'm talking maximum overdrive folks. Oh yeah. Maximum maximum homer drive. That's um <laughs> that was a Simpsons episode. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, it's the one and only movie that Stephen King himself actually directed and listeners if if you have not seen the trailer for this film go ahead and do it because it's literally just Stephen King on the screen with some creepy music in the background describing like what the movie is going to be about. And it's a sight to behold. Yeah. I don't know um, if that's just how he normally is, but he just looks whacked out as hell in the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) He, he ends it. He literally ends it with him pointing toward the camera and he just says like i'm gonna scare the hell out of you yeah (laughs) but it's a movie that takes place in north carolina it with emilio estevez yes the mighty duck man himself Uh, (laughs) emilio estevez sporting the worst southern accent you will ever hear and it's a movie about killer trucks Hell yeah, man. That sounds completely up my shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, you know, for, because there was a movie about killer cars that came out a few years ago, not made by Stephen King or any adaptation of his work, but it was made by John Carpenter, who made the movie uh, Christine. That actually was a Stephen King novel. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. That was a Stephen King novel. And also... Um, there is a different Stephen King novel about mysterious cars called From a Buick 8. And uh, that may not kill anyone, but it's certainly some weird shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, only Stephen King. Only Stephen King could come up with a, an idea for a book that says, what if we take a premise where... Cars somehow become sentient and just start killing people. 
Yeah, I think this was. To be fair, though, I think this was before um, ideas were done to death. So, um, as stupid as it sounds, it's. Uh, it, it, I guess it was original back in, <laughs> in the seventies and eighties. When when he wasn't like stringed out on coke or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't even know how the fucking truck comes to life in maximum overdrive i'm sure there's some like pseudo sci-fi explanation because that's that's how it is with uh monster movies no apparently they do they do explain it and it's a lot more bullshit than you would think literally it starts with a comet passes over and the trucks become sentient oh hell like yes become sentient <laughs> I guess like that was the theme of the 80s you know, like you know let's take a simple premise and let's make it bigger you know I already did uh, I already did a book about cars now let's do something about 18 wheelers cause that's what Americans love in the 80s everything big hell yeah man convoy that's right <laughs> um and yes oh and also I I almost forgot also in the 80s, uh, Stephen King uh, gave us the delightfully cheesy uh, Children of the Corn. Yeah, which is, again, the, the premise is, what if children could murder? Basically, the, the formula for early Stephen King is, what if X could murder? Well... But then again, you know that that's nothing new. We've seen uh, we've seen uh, movies where uh, uh, children start uh, murdering everyone, but we've never seen a movie where he could he tries to make you think that corn is scary. Yeah. <laughs> Look, listeners, I don't know if you I don't know if you've seen Children of the Corn or not, but. If you get a chance, please watch it because not only does it have a uh, pre-Terminator uh, uh, Linda Hamilton in it, but it also has quite possibly one of the most hilarious villains you will ever see. Yeah, I remember watching Children of the Corn on cable and even as a kid, I was like, why the, like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> it's like, wow, this is actually stupid. It's like someone saw Evil Dead and tried to apply it to corn. Hell yeah, man. Uh, he who walks behind the rose. I still remember. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. And somehow this was the start of a film franchise. Uh, yeah, it spawned five sequels. Mm-hmm. There was uh, shit. I think who who got their start on uh, Children of the Corn? Um, Eva Mendez. Eva Mendez. Shit. She was in Children of the Corn five. Was Matthew McConaughey in one of them, or am I just imagining things? No, you're just imagining things. He was in the. Uh... Oh God, he was in the new, like the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right? Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, uh, equally like, shitty, equally um, unnecessary sequel. Uh, yeah, starring him and Renee Zellweger, a pre-fame Renee, Z- Renee Zellweger. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to Stephen King for a sec. It's somehow spawn five sequels children of the corn and it arguably gave us one of the most hilarious uh, villains ever until until the miniseries it came out yes <laughs> because when you think stephen king you think killer clown voiced by tim curry 
You know, it's um, I'm sure it was responsible for giving a lot of kids uh, cholerophobia or the fil- the fear of clowns. But um, I don't know, man. As soon as I found out that uh, Tim Curry was in it, I was like, hell yes. This is this is extremely my shit. Give like give me this campy bullshit. Yes. And oh god, he's hilarious in it. Like he brings his own uh, spin to this character that's supposed to be scary, but th- <laughs> there are moments where it's almost like he's just dicking around on the set and just doing his own thing. Like like there's one scene in the library like in a library where he's literally like spinning, spinning this thing around and just going on doing like these weird old timey jokes and just laughing for just for the sake of laughing. Yeah. Um, Tim Curry has no off button for his uh, hamminess or for his camp. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh when you sign him up to do a play or a movie you will only get him as he is i think i think hamminess and camp are both his middle names i'm sure um <laughs> many other uh great tim curry roles are are, are we'll, we'll possibly discuss them in a future episode no, we will. Don't don't worry, listeners. We'll get to Tim Curry <laughs> eventually because he's one of the most uh, talented and uh, diverse actors we've actually ever seen. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Because I do want to talk about Fern Gully, which combines Stephen King and uh, not Stephen King, Tim Curry and Robin Williams. That's right. In an otherwise forgettable movie. A forgettable movie that the. Uh, the creators of uh, Avatar happen to be "quote unquote" inspired by. Yeah, "quote unquote" is being uh, it's being generous. It's uh, <laughs> but pretty much uh, James Very Cameron gen- lifted uh, the plot from Fern Gully, basically borrowing elements from not only Fern Gully but also like Dances with Wolves as well. Hell yeah! That's like you know okay. All right, James Cameron. It's like we've seen the story before, uh, but we got to hand it to you. The visuals are stunning, and we'll probably go see Avatar 2 when it comes out in 2073. Yeah. Hey, at least uh, the Avatar world is apparently open in um, Walt uh, Disney World. So uh, if anyone out there is... uh, needing their uh, blue cat people fix uh feel free to go down to florida yeah yeah definitely go ahead and do it because disney practically owns every everything now yeah so uh that was let let's go back to stephen king and let's talk about a movie probably most people don't realize is a stephen king movie either and I'm talking about the classic uh, Schwarzenegger vehicle known as The Running Man. That's right. I, I never knew this was a Stephen King, like it, this was an, a Stephen King adaptation until I started watching the movie. And it said like adapted from a, like adapted for the, for the screen by Stephen King. I'm like, what? Hell yeah, like, man. He wrote a movie about a future dystopia where criminals fight to the death in order to gain their uh, gain their freedom. Which probably is going to be happening in real life pretty soon. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, somewhat prophetically, the movie takes place. Uh, the movie starts in 2017 and takes place in 2019 with, mm-hmm. um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger as uh, Ben Richards, who mm-hmm. is the most Austrian uh, Bakersfield policeman. <laughs> yes, and of course you can't about you can't forget about the uh, the film's villain played by one of the greatest one of the greatest uh, game show hosts of all time, uh, Family Feuds Richard Dawson. 
Hell yeah. Damon Killian. Damon Killian. <laughs> Even his name has the word kill in the he has the word kill in it. Oh man. Uh yeah. Uh besides uh you know Schwarzenegger and uh, Richard Dawson, the movie has absolute giants, man. Yafet Kodo. I'm talking uh Jesse Ventura. Before Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> Before his uh, conspiracy theory uh, TV shows and uh, <laughs> before his conspiracy theory, everything like he's written like five books on conspiracy theories alone. Uh, I have these documents um, that they uh, they they put uh, these chemicals um, uh, to make you gay in uh, in Minnesota. And that's uh, that's why I ran for governor, and uh, I I won is uh, is to make sure the cows aren't gay. <laughs> okay, seriously, people, seriously, seriously, Minnesota like listeners from from Minnesota. Not only have you elected a former pro wrestler as governor, but there's one town where there's literally a dog that's the mayor. Hell yeah, man. We we love that shit on questions like this. We do. It's it's fantastic. And I love I love Jesse Ventura in the running man. But for me, what makes the running man so great is like when Schwarzenegger like looks into the camera, uh like the TV camera on the on the show. And he threatens uh, Damon Killian. And he's like, you know, if you don't believe me, I'm going to ram my fist into your stomach and break your goddamn spine. That just makes <laughs> the movie so much more epic. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Schwarzenegger. Uh, this is a two-governor movie, folks. Uh, Schwarzenegger was also elected governor of a United States state, which is where both Alex and I grew up. So, yeah. The proud state of California, Golden State. Mm-hmm. That cl- it's like, yes, I I am the governor of California. California. Don't be no economic girly man. <laughs> that glorious seven and a half year reign, where literally every time I said me or my, anytime me, my friends, or my parents said the words Governor Schwarzenegger, we would immediately start laughing. Yeah, I mean, I know I know Reagan was governor before I was born, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I at least would believe Reagan was governor, but Schwarzenegger seems like a precursor to this, like, alternate universe that we live in where a reality show uh host is president Mm -hmm. and spends more time tweeting than he does actual presidential work hell yeah man it's Uh, like so we basically have a he tweets so often that i'm almost mistaking him for a kardashian at this point which you know probably will happen in 2020. Oh Jesus! Really, that's gonna happen—the whole Kanye for president thing. Of course, man. Oh, by the way, um, if you're looking for a canon connection to the Stephen King movies, and yes, of course, everything is connected to ca- to canon in some way. Uh, the guy who played Sub-Zero, which is not the Mortal Kombat dude in this movie, is the wrestler, Professor Tanaka, who was in uh, Revenge of the Ninja, uh, an episode of The A-Team, and Mich- Missing in Action 2, The Beginning. Mm-hmm. So yeah, last episode when we said uh, Canon uh, basically made the 80s, uh, we weren't kidding. No, we weren't. 
Uh, we're deadly serious and highly professional on this show. Oh, of course. I mean, obviously, we, we like to have fun any chance we get, but you know, we're very, we're we're very serious. We uh, try and link anything we can back to uh, the unstoppable '80s juggernaut known as Canon Films. Hell yeah, man! Um, but and again, uh, check out the documentary Electric Boogaloo, uh, and uh, watch all of their movies at some point. Yeah, some of them are even uh, on your uh, favorite uh, streaming services. Like I saw, um, what was there? I saw Over the Top is on Hulu right now. Yeah, which is again, I'm I'm serious. It's probably one of my all time favorite movies. <laughs> oh right, man! Right. But, sorry, we got a little sidetrack there. Uh, back to back to Stephen King. Uh, Arguably his most successful adaptation, and I didn't realize this until like I read it in the trivia many years later, but his most successful adaptation probably has to be Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, you know, which is uh, it's a classic. Uh, it's a classic story of a man in prison mm-hmm. and finding wrongly imprisoned. Or is he? Is he? That's what I keep asking myself. Did he actually do it or not? And yeah, um, it, it it's another out of genre experience, I guess, for uh, Stephen King. It's it's a straightforward story, basically, of um, Andy Dufresne, who is convicted of murdering his wife and lover, mm-hmm. uh. Wife and her lover. And uh, yeah, he's serving time at the Shawshank Penitentiary. And uh, he meets a perennial uh, wise black man, uh, Morgan Freeman, in prison. Yes, Morgan Freeman in one of his greatest roles uh, ever as uh, (laughs) as Red. Hell yeah. I I love it. No, yeah, I mean, uh, it's... uh, it it really is a great movie. It is. I mean, obviously, it's very, very intense to watch, and those who have seen it know like exactly what I'm talking about. There's a lot of scenes that'll make you go like, you know, that'll make you cringe, that'll make you very, uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the movie, so I I can't really talk about it because it is, it is. Uh, difficult to talk about the movie without spoiling it, but yeah. But let, let's just say this, listeners, on IMDb's uh, mo- movie poll, they do this thing: the top 250 movies of all time. Shawshank is at number one. Hell yeah, man. Mm-hmm. I think also this is a uh, Frank Darabont's. Uh, finest hour it is his finest hour and he tried to recreate that five years later with the green mile yes which is of course another stephen king book and Mm -hmm. uh starring uh, tom hanks and uh, michael clark duncan michael clark duncan is john coffee as john coffee this is uh this is a magical negro movie folks um and yet Somehow Stephen King manages to make it work, kind of. Mm-hmm. No, no, he does. And, like, the character of John Coffey is a very, uh, a very sympathetic character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, movies set in uh, Louisiana, um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's set in 1930s or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, John Coffey, uh, he's in prison, but he's got got superpowers, folks. Uh, When he says, give me your hands, boss, uh, you give him your hands and uh, you you will be healed. Literally, he heals you like, yeah, I mean... I don't know. It's a great film, but I find the dialogue to be a little bit uh, 
cringeworthy because, like you said, it's a uh, it's one it's one of those uh, magical uh, Negro films, kind of like uh, uh, Legend of uh, Bagger Vance that came out around the uh, same time. Yes, and like the, the and John Coffey's uh, dialogue is very you know. Like, you know, a yes boss and, you know, like all, all like this and them talk. It's like, really, like really Stephen King, you made a, like you wrote a, a book where you have a character that talks that way. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of uncle Tom at times. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, it's still a good movie and, uh, it's still a touching story. It is. That, that actually no I, I don't want to spoil it for those that haven't seen uh, the green mile yet i strongly encourage you to to go see it it's not as good as shawshank but it's up there yeah i mean uh michael clark duncan was great he was he was awesome another one gone too soon i know so also in the 90s there was Probably the absolute shittiest, in my personal opinion, uh, Stephen King adaptation. And this is the 1997 uh, Miguel Ferrer vehicle known as the Night Flyer, which I'm sure a million other uh, podcasts and YouTube series have tackled this shitty adaptation, but... um, I I actually don't know too much uh, about it. What is it actually about? Yeah, so basically, uh, Miguel Ferrer plays a reporter who is chasing a serial killer uh, who kills his victims uh, in a vampiric manner. And somehow this vampire is using an airplane to travel to and from uh murder victims yeah it's weird um and it and it has an absolutely great uh dvd cover which was probably made by the same people who made like the infamously uh so bad it's good uh album covers of hip hop album covers of the 90s you know the ones i'm talking about yes yeah yes, listen, come on come on listeners out there you, you you know exactly which albums i'm talking about yeah yeah oh my oh my god i'm looking at it right now <laughs> also that's a that's a fucking spoiler for the movie by the way because they don't show you the killer's face until i think 10 seconds before it ends <laughs> wow okay honestly that is incredibly creepy yeah but also um in the movie it's not that creepy it, it kind of looks like if any if anyone out there has ever played like Castlevania on Nintendo sixty four, yeah, it's uh in the movie the 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 vampire kind of looks like a really shitty low res low polygon um monster. But yes, <laughs> this is this is one of the, this is one of the stinkers uh from uh, the Stephen King canon. Mm-hmm. And I think. My personal favorite as the uh, the worst uh, Stephen King adaptation would be another Stephen King uh, uh, miniseries that came out in the mid-90s, came out in 95, was the horrifically bad The Langoliers. Uh, oh, yeah. Absolute. Two thumbs up. Uh, four stars. Um can uh con film festival number one selection whatever man it's <laughs> it's an absolute it's an absolute like shit show it really is featuring probably the most over the top performance in a stephen king film i've ever seen and believe me that's saying something oh yeah <laughs> god what a movie yeah um what you want to go into it a bit? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll definitely go into it. Um, 
so apparently a bunch of people a bunch of people that have no connection to each other whatsoever are boarding this flight this plane in LA that are going it's going to Boston and um yeah there's at one point where like they all fall asleep and at one point they all wake up and most of the passengers are missing except for uh except for them and they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on and they make a detour they stop in Maine of all places because Stephen King is from Maine and of course every single story he makes has to take place there and um yeah, apparently they're being uh, chased by uh, this uh, by these monsters called Langoliers, which, oh my God, I don't know how to describe it. I really don't know how to describe it. It is some of the, if, you, if you've seen it, if you've seen the Langoliers when it first came out or if you've seen it uh, subsequent times like I have, it is some of the worst CGI you will ever see. Ever. And, I, you know what, you know what, listeners? Just go online, type in the Langoliers, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Because I don't think any description I can give it can do it justice. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, the fascination you get with when you see an accident, you know, it's like, oh, my God, this is terrible, but I can't look away. It's which is it's kind of how you feel about most Stephen King adaptations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, apparently he's still going strong. To this day, he uh, is uh, is under the dome still on TV right now, or did that get canceled? Possibly. Um, the Mist is uh, a TV series now for whatever reason, and uh, yeah, eleven twenty two sixty three. I think it's still on uh, on Hulu, and uh, I think another one is on Hulu or will be on Hulu called Castle Rock. Yeah. And then, of course, now you've got a dark tower that's out in theaters because, yeah, trying to condense uh, eight, eight books down to a 90 minute film is uh, a great idea. Yeah. Although I am uh, excited to see uh, Idris Elba in a movie um, as, as the gunslinger as Roland Deschamps. The last gunslinger of uh, whatever fucking world Dark Tower takes place. I've never read it. Um, yeah. Also, fun fact: uh, Dark Tower was actually not the first uh, fantasy uh, novel that uh, Stephen King wrote. He actually wrote one called "The Eyes of the Dragon," which mm. um, again, completely forgettable. Uh, this was not one of his best work, and I think he was just trying to write a fantasy just to see if he could. Right. But, uh, yeah, like, you know, we have, as much as we love to, to bash on uh, Stephen King, we have nothing but uh, nothing but respect for the guy. We admire his, uh, his work ethic over the last uh, 40 years, and he has given us some wildly uh entertaining and fascinating uh, stories yeah man um it's just insane his uh, work ethic and uh, definitely if you are interested in writing um if you want to get into writing or you're just in for a good story pick up his memoir called on writing it's probably one of the best probably the best uh memoir on writing and uh, being a writer mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely yeah man um, so yeah if you've ever wondered whether this Stephen King uh, novel or that Stephen King story is a movie chances are good that it probably is 
sometimes uh, adapted twice or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh man, I I didn't even get to talk about Hearts in Atlantis, which is um, oh. it's one of those um, it's one of those less uh, overtly scary uh, movie, but um, it's got a message that now I guess is kind of fucked up. So so it's got uh, Anthony Hopkins as it's like a psychic, um, and uh, Anton Yelchin as a kid who's uh being uh being bullied and uh so there's a there's a scene where um anthony hopkins uh confronts uh, the guy who's bullying uh anthony uh anton yelchin and he's basically outing uh the bully as a crossdresser and he's like saying like you like to dress up in your mother's clothes don't you uh you you like the way uh you look and the way you make it f- uh, the way you feel in your mother's dresses and he's uh, he's basically reverse bullying this uh, <laughs> this kid <laughs> into, good impression into, by the way yeah yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so yeah um I guess the message is um, cross-dressers or transvestites are bullies and uh, evil people. I don't know. That that sounds a little bit... Uh, that just sounds so contradictory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's not the best Stephen King movie or story, but it's not the worst either. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, um was there anything else uh you want to talk about? Uh, I think we've pretty much covered it. We've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad, we've talked about the forgettable. Yeah. Um So I guess it wasn't really like a Stephen King adaptation, but he made two like anthology movies in the 80s uh Tales from the Dark Side and uh, Creep Show, those are those are pretty good. I, I like the mm-hmm. first and second Creep Shows. Um, apparently, there's a third one, although I'm pretty sure that that one's probably shitty. I, I just have a gut feeling. But right. yeah, Stephen King, man, um, prolific writer, gave us mm-hmm. a lot of good movies, a lot of good stories and uh hopefully um he'll continue to give us many more. He's still he's still going at it um in Maine. He's still writing yes, he away. Is. He is. Um yeah, well, what was that? Uh Sleeping Beauties is already being optioned and it came out like this year. It's not even out yet. It's not even out yet. Holy shit. And it's already been optioned. Damn. Uh, Such is the power of Stephen King. It's like, here, turn my uh, unpublished uh, novel into a TV show. It's like, okay, okay, Stephen King. It's like, yes, boss. And yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we got like an extra extra long episode probably because uh we went off on way too many tangents but um which we which probably continue to do as we continue to create these episodes there will probably be an episode where we start off talking about something and then we just talk about a completely different thing by the end and we never go back to the original thing that's um coming soon (laughs) coming soon to a podcast near you yes And uh, I will not actually end with a song from any of the Stephen King films. But um, fun fact, Idris Elba is actually a DJ and a singer. So I will be ending with a song from Idris Elba's little known singing career. And I promise I will pick a good one. But uh, it's a a surprise. Yes. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, so this has been uh, it's been another episode of uh, questions like this, and uh, thanks for listening uh, from uh, Aristo and Alex. Uh, 
we'll uh we'll talk to you listeners next week have a good week guys Seen it all before, baby. Don't you worry, no. I seen it before. I seen that look on your face. I seen those tears behind the eyes. It's a hard place to come from when you let your guard down. Let this brother enter your private garden. Can I assist you with your problems, girl? Let me show you a way to celebrate your life. I will be gentle with you. I will be gentle with you. Just let me show you. from girl show me what you're running from girl it might take time for you to trust me trust me let your guard down let this brother enter your private garden yeah look you've been up you've been down you've been lost you've been found from the first time we met with surreal family we work for the small talk work for the awkward we drop the defenses the odds you against the anger i feel when you tell me the deal makes me feel about the past makes me want to go kill but it's done what's good and what's next and what's good is the sex so i tell you right now i'll be the best I won't hurt you now. I won't hurt you. I never.